0: This is Jeff Rutherford's son, Noah. Welcome to the 450th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast.
1: Thank you, Noah. And that's right. We're up to 450 episodes of this podcast, the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay subscribed and tell your writing friends about this podcast. I have a lot more interviews with writers and authors in the queue, and they'll be published very soon. Now, stay tuned for my interview with Abigail Dean, author of the debut novel, Girl A. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Abigail Dean, author of the debut novel, Girl A. Girl A is being hailed as a best new book of 2021 by Marie Claire, Lit Hub, Good Housekeeping, O Magazine, Woman's Day, and Red Book. Abigail, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, Jeff. Uh, Thanks so much for having me.
1: Great. If someone hasn't heard yet about your novel, Girl A, how would you describe the novel?
2: So Girl A, I would describe it as being a novel about family strength and resilience and about sibling relationships and how past alliances and rivalries of of our childhoods come back in the present to, to haunt us. So Girl A is Lex Gracie who manages to escape from her parents' house of horrors as a child and in doing so she frees her six brothers and sisters and uh, exposes her parents' cult-like crimes. And Girl a opens 15 years after that escape when Lex is living as a successful attorney in New York and refusing to think about the past. That's until she receives news that her mother has died in prison, uh, leaving both Lex and her siblings, the, the House of Horrors, where they were brought up. And that forces Lex to return to the UK and to reconnect with her brothers and sisters to decide the fate um, of the family home um, and ultimately to discover that, much, despite her efforts, that the past does return to, to haunt the present.
1: And so, do you remember the original idea or impetus for Riding Girl A? I'm
2: not sure there was a specific kind of um, epiphany moment. I think it was the accumulation of a few things that I've been thinking about for for quite a few years, to be honest. The first first thing was my fascination with, with sibling relationships. So I'm an only child and I've always had this kind of Interest in the the dynamics of bigger families. I think because I've not been privy to that relationship myself, it's always really fascinated me. So I've often in my writing been exploring relationships between siblings and particularly between sisters. And I think some of that, that the idea of this really close kind of relationship between two sisters was one of the first um, seeds of Girl A in terms of Lex's relationship with her younger sister, Evie, which is a really close bond that the two of them have. So so those family dynamics were, were in my head. And I think that kind of combined with a lifelong interest in true crime, and the sort of questions that I was starting to ask myself about true crime in terms of what happens once the headlines ha- have subsided when the sort of police have uh, have left and the media have have dispersed what what happens then to people who are at the heart of these particular stories and so I wanted to explore that with a real focus on hope and on resilience and the kind of strength that people have to deal with an event like the one that the Gracie children in Girl A experience.
1: So I'm curious, did you do any research about surviving trauma and how that's processed over the years as you were writing Girl A?
2: I did some research into how different people, um, Respond to, to trauma, particularly childhood trauma, from a kind of at a psychological level. But at the same time, I wanted to be very careful not to diagnose my characters in, in, in any way. I think because they're they're, they're evidently a fictional family, I, I wanted to give myself, like, kind of self, the, the scope and the the ability to imagine, you know, how would different characters respond to these shared events. And I think that's the heart of the book, the the, the different ways that the the children have both, in each case, actually have coped and failed to cope with the, the traumatic events of their childhood. So it was a case of combining uh, research into particular, p- particular uh, effects and like, long-lasting um, legacies in a way that you see, for example, in Lex's younger brother, Gabriel, who, who suffers from these real rages when he thinks of the events of the house. Equally, with allowing my imagination to to test, not only would what would these characters do, but I think the the difficult questions of what would I do and what would um, you do, and what would different readers do if they had faced these events? Because I think, because of the great range of of characters in the book and the different ways that they do respond, you're challenged to consider whether you would have handled things with the kind of grace. That you like to believe, I think, and certainly some of the some of the characters, some of Lex's siblings, have manipulated media attention in particular ways, and have you know th- there are questions as to whether they themselves might have participated. in in, in their parents' behavior and in their parents' kind of cult-like constraints. So there there was a sort of, there was also a lot of scope to to ask difficult questions of myself and of the characters.
1: Girl A is a debut novel. Had you written fiction before you sat down to work on Girl A?
2: I had. Yes, I've been writing for quite a long time since I was really quite young. I, I think my mum has recently dug out, you know, some like childhood uh, some childhood attempts at, at novels that, that are pretty interesting. So, yeah, there's some stapled together bits of bits of paper that she's managed to find in the garage, which I'm I'm not sure I'll be sharing very widely. So, I wrote quite a lot as a kid and I think also as a teenager as well, I was a really absolutely loved reading and was hugely inspired by a big range of books that I read as a child. And yeah, you know, I, I wrote things like fan fiction as well, and just any chance to write, I was I was probably doing it. And I think what what's quite sad looking back is I, I think honestly around the age of sort of eighteen or nineteen. I I started to think, oh, well, writing isn't something that's really going to happen for me. It's a bit of a pipe dream. And for a long time, I didn't write that much as an adult. I think I saw it as being something that was just so impossible that I fell away from it for a while. And it wasn't until I was approaching my 30th birthday that I was questioning, why did you give up this thing that, that actually made you very happy? And yeah, I'm just very glad that sort of that prompted me to actually leave my job for a while and, and, really, give, and really give it a shot, give it a shot again.
1: That's great. Are, are there writers or books that inspired you along the way on your writing journey or as you were working on Girl A?
2: There, there are quite a few, yeah. I I find that writing is, it, it depends quite heavily for me on reading. And one thing I actually do if I'm struggling to write or having a bad day is to try to read bits of particular books that... That that have a similar kind of tone or a similar tension to the scene that I'm I'm trying to work on. So I'm definitely very reliant on on, on reading. I, I think that if a girl A in particular, I took a lot of inspiration from uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy, and uh, mm-hmm. that th- I think it was, it's just a stunning, moving book, and it, it also has this real balance, I think, between being set in a very brutal landscape that there are kind of terrible atrocities taking place. But at its heart, it has this kind of very tender, gorgeous relationship between a father and a son. And that was definitely something that I wanted to, to, to depict in Girl A that although the Gracie family grew up in incredibly difficult circumstances, There are real moments of kind of beauty and tenderness between the characters, between Lex and and her sister, between a a number of the siblings in a way. So that was certainly one one novel that I kept returning to. And I think in in similarity, I I read A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara just just before starting to write Girl A., and that was another book where I felt like you have that balance between a very traumatic child, but the moments of a little life that, I really, that really stick with me are, are the kind of moments of, of love between Jude and his friends and his adopted, um, adopted parents. And so, so that was another thing, I think, that had that sort of tension between, between beauty and, and trauma that I thought was very inspiring as I was
1: working on Girl A. So are you working on another novel now?
2: I am, yes. I've been working on my second novel for the last year or so. I so, was um, really involved in, in that at present and becoming increasingly by the characters. So, so that novel is... It has a b- b- few similarities, I think, with Girl A. It's a different different story, different characters, but it, it's it begins with a... a an attack at a school, and in the aftermath of that, one character um, loses her mother and has to cope with the trauma of that, whereas another character believes that the whole thing is is a hoax, is a conspiracy. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. And um, sets out to disprove that it ever happened. So I guess in similarity with Girl A, there's the idea of, of different characters kind of viewing an event in in very different ways. I think in the same way that certain of Lex's siblings have very different memories and different interpretations of their childhood, that's an idea that's definitely playing out in the novel that I'm working on at present. And I think I'm also really interested in how characters cope with trauma, how resilient the people can actually be. I I think it's just a very inspiring trait of the the human condition and something that I'm endlessly in awe of in in the characters, both in Girl A and in this new novel that I'm currently writing.
1: What was your writing process for Girl A? Did you plot or outline the novel extensively or was it more organically to see where the story went?
2: I think it was a bit of both. It, it's quite strange because I look back on the process and it seems like a, a, a bit of a whirlwind almost, but I think much actually, you know, that's a very nostalgic, uh, dreamlike way of looking at it because I think it was also a applaud uh, at times. I, I definitely had a outline in terms of I knew how the novel would end when I started it. Quite how all the characters would get there was a little less less uncertain. So I, I guess I approach writing with a vague outline and an idea of where the plot might end up, but also a lot of holes uh, and a lot of kind of scope for the characters to change and for their actions to change as I write. And I think in a way, as you go along, you almost come to know your character's better with every sort of page that you write. And so I think as a result of that, your, the narrative does change and things do slightly take you, take you by surprise, which is one of the, the real joys of it. So yeah, a, a bit of structure, but with scope for, um, scope for surprises along the way.
1: Great. What writing advice would you offer for those who are writing their own stories and novels?
2: I sometimes feel like a bit of a, a fraud almost giving giving advice because i 've only done this like one and a half times, and, and my advice might be dreadful i so I think that the most sort of precious thing advice for, for, for me and this actually came from my my partner who is not invested in he 's not a writer at all and and has very little interest in, in writing himself but for a very long time, I would talk about how I'd love to be a writer and how it was something that I'd always wanted to do. And well, why can't I be a writer? And he gave me a very blunt piece of advice, which to be a writer, you actually have to sit down and, and write something. <laughs> that, that's all you need to do. <laughs> which which was at the time I was like, oh, that's pretty blunt. That, that hurts a bit. <laughs> um, but but. It really was a very kind of precious piece of advice and something I keep returning to. I think that all you can do is give yourself a shot. And that really just involves sitting down and trying to write, even on days when you feel pretty uninspired. And especially over the last sort of 10 months, I think it's been a very difficult time to focus on anything. Yeah, I think just trying to carve out uh, time and and space to to actually get the words on the page is the sort of greatest advice that I received. and, and then just to keep going. It's really tough and and I think that yeah, at the, the end of, of any kind of period of writing is, it should there should be a sense of pride that you've managed to sit down and, and get some words
1: on the page. That's great. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? I've
2: read a few really fantastic things recently. I, I think over the uh, over the Christmas holiday season, I, I bunkered down and um, in lockdown with sort of a cat and some coffee and just read for a, for a great deal of the holiday season. So I loved "Ask Again, Yes" by Mary Beth Keane. I, I read that in December, and it's a really, really gorgeous, stark story about two families in upstate New York um, and and an act of violence that kind of divides them and and how they, they deal with that over the months and the years that the, the paths that the writing is absolutely stunning and especially especially wonderful in terms of the passage of time so a lot of the narrative is told in covering years at a time but it still manages to be really specific and and incredibly moving in doing so 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 i loved that Uh, And I also just finished reading a kind of slightly older novel, which was Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson. And that is set in the first half of the the century the twentieth century in Idaho you can probably see that I really love American fiction as well by <laughs> by, by my recent reading it's a story about a, a man who works in in logging and, and lives a slightly hermit esque life after a particular tragedy in yeah in, in rural Idaho and the sense of the setting it, it is just amazing it, it, it's a incredibly kind of short but Beautifully written, haunting book. So yeah, a hundred pages that I don't think I'll be forgetting in a hurry.
1: That's great. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and Girl A?
2: Yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm uh, at Abigail S. Dean, no spaces, just Abigail S. Dean Are on both of those both of those platforms. And I'm always really, really. I I love hearing from readers and I I also just love chatting about about writing and books. So people should definitely feel free to reach out. And my website is abigail-dean.com. So you can also also find me there. And and there are links um, there to to some sort of various sources about Girl A and, and what people are saying about it. So yeah, I'm always happy to hear from people.
1: Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Abigail Dean, author of the debut novel, Girl A, The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Abigail, thanks for doing this interview.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. Yeah, thank you again.
1: Now stay tuned for a brief excerpt from the audiobook of Girl A by Abigail Dean, read by Elle Potter, available from PRH Audio wherever audiobooks are sold.
0: I arrived at the prison in the mid-afternoon. On the drive, I had been listening to an old playlist made by JP, Have a Great Day. And without the music and the engine, the car was abruptly quiet. I opened the door. Traffic was building on the motorway, the noise of it like the ocean. The prison had released a short statement confirming Mother's death. I read the articles online the evening before, which were perfunctory, and which all concluded with a variation of the same happy ending. The Gracie children, some of whom have waived their anonymity, are believed to be well. I sat in a towel on the hotel bed with room service on my lap, laughing. At breakfast, there was a stack of local newspapers next to the coffee. Mother was on the front page, underneath an article about a stabbing at Wimpy Burger, A quiet day. My room included a hot buffet, and I kept eating right up until the end, when the waitress told me that the kitchen had to begin preparing for lunch. People stop for lunch? I asked. You'd be surprised? she said. She looked apologetic. Lunch isn't included with the room, though. That's okay? I said. Thanks. That was really good. When I started my job, my mentor, Julia Devlin, told me that the time would come when I would tire of free food and free alcohol, when my fascination with platters of immaculate canapes would wane, when I would no longer set my alarm to get to a hotel breakfast. Devlin was right about a lot of things, but not about that. I had never been to the prison before, but it wasn't so different from what I had imagined. Beyond the car park were white walls, crowned with barbed wire like a challenge from a fairy tale. Behind that, four towers presided over a concrete moat with a grey fort at its centre. Mother's little life. I had parked too far away, and had to walk across a sea of empty spaces, following the thick white lines where I could. There was only one other car in the lot, and inside it there was an old woman clutching the wheel. When she saw me, she raised her hand, as if we might know each other, and I waved back. Underfoot, the tarmac was starting to stick. By the time I reached the entrance... I could feel sweat in my bra and in the hair at the back of my neck. My summer clothes were in a wardrobe in New York. I had remembered English summers as timid, and every time I stepped outside, I was surprised by bold blue sky. I had spent some time that morning thinking about what to wear, stuck, half-dressed, in the wardrobe mirror. There really wasn't an outfit for every occasion, after all. I had settled on a white shirt, loose jeans, shop-clean trainers, obnoxious sunglasses. Is it too jovial? I asked Olivia, texting her a picture, but she was in Italy, at a wedding on the walls of Volterra, and she didn't reply. There was a receptionist, just like in any other office. Do you have an appointment? She asked. Yes, I said. With the warden. With the director? Sure, with the director. Are you Alexandra? That's me. The warden had agreed to meet me in the entrance hall. There's a reduced staff on Saturday afternoons, she had said. And no visitors after 3pm. It should be quiet for you. I'd like that, I said. Thanks.